The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations with which they work. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation. Remember your training and fly the airplane. But you knew that. The entire UCAP gang is grounded this week and unable to follow through on plans to attend the AOPA Expo. Plus, Jack's in a prickly mood because he'd really rather be watching the first game of the baseball playoffs. But we're all professionals here, and the show must go on. We talk about flights to check out the fall foliage and circle mooses and bears, more on the proposal for ADSB, and a clever way the feds are making airline flying safer. All this and more in Uncontrolled Airspace, episode number 49. Pretty damn fine. Okay. Got me uh, in the right frame of mind. I mean, geez, man. Hanger flying. Okay. All right. So, uh, so here's what happened, by the way. Uh, I'm, see, you guys aren't baseball fans, so I don't even know why I talk to you, all right? But <laughs> <laughs> this is our normal night to record, or our new normal night to record the podcast, and so I just kind of went ahead and said, yeah, of course I'm available. I blocked out Wednesday nights for the rest of my life. Uh, Wednesday night at <laughs> 7 is fine, all right? And then middle of this afternoon, it suddenly dawned on me, tonight is the first day of the uh, baseball postseason, and the Red Sox game is on right now. It started at 6.30. All right. You idiot. I know. I know. What was yeah. I thinking? All right. But I think, no, no, you know, got to be, you know, the show must go on. All right, we're going to do the podcast. You, you, and, you're taping it, right? And and so what Chivo I'm going to... or DVR? Or... No, you can't do that because there's too Set much stuff video going on online. you got to watch sporting events live. Are you, so get... so you got a you got a window open on your computer. You're watching the game. Well, on, close. On I got the TV. And... Yeah, the TV is right next to me here. It's all muted. <laughs> and I'm kind of glancing at that every now and then. But the reason I was late for the 7 o'clock start was that I figured, okay, I'm going to watch the game from about 6.30 to, to 10 to seven and then I'll kind of mute it and kind of do our thing and so I'm watching the game and the Red Sox scored a run and everything's going great and I suddenly looked at the clock and it's one past seven I'm going oh crap <laughs> <laughs> gotta do the podcast quick 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 so I sent you guys all messages and said uh, so, so Jack what? Um, who are they playing <laughs> playing the uh, the uh, what is it the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim or whatever it is they call themselves now and uh, um <laughs> Basically, it's the the L.A. Angels, or you know. This is this is for the league uh, playoff. This is thing? for the division uh, championship. It's kind this, of this, this is not division. even this is not even the league. No, no, this, this is, is just the, this is the first round of the playoffs. This is for the. Uh, I thought I, I thought this was an important game. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, folks, to episode number 49 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. Uh, How about that, Matt? As I was just just explaining, we're recording this podcast on uh, Wednesday evening, October 3rd, the first day of the 2007 baseball postseason, and that's the last I'll talk about baseball. We'll start talking about airplanes now. I want to say hello to everybody else here in the virtual hangar. Dave Higgins with us. Dave is an aviation photographer, a senior editor for Kit Planes Magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. He's joining us from his home and home office in Wichita, Kansas. Hi, Dave. Good evening, everybody. Good evening, Jack. Good evening, Jeb. Good evening, Amy. Good evening, everybody lucky enough to be out flying right now instead of sitting in an office. 
Did you like write that down and rehearse it, or do you, do you just do that all extemporaneously? It's tattooed on the uh, on on the ah. eyebrows. When I close my eyes and look at a mirror, I can see it. Okay. Dave's a TV star now, so he's good at this kind of stuff. You know, it just all comes naturally to him. Oh man! Oh, that's I've right. Hair and makeup. <laughs> Also, oh, absolutely. Also with us this evening is Jeb Burnside. Jeb is an aviation journalist, currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine and also as a contributing editor to AvWeb Biz. He's talking to us also from his home and home office in Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. Hi, Jack uh, and Amy and um, and Mr. Higdon also, and of course to all of our listeners. I hope, hope everyone still had a tie on. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I just have this this recurring vision, uh, for lack uh, of a nightmare. better term, of you walking around in a coat and tie last week in Atlanta, and it's it's tough to shake. Man, you promised you wouldn't let that out, you know. <laughs> I know, I know, but at the same time, um, it's it's a memorable sight, and it's something that I think really should be shared. Did anybody with- give me a picture? <laughs> No, you know, Some, well, you, somewhere out there is a picture of me with a shirt and a tie and a red Viking helmet with horns. Oh, there are sh- no. <laughs> <of me laughs> yeah, Jeb. <laughs> That's on my cell phone. I will, I will um, suss that out, right. and uh, I will distribute it, was, it. It, it. It was in honor of National Talk Like a Pirate Day, which occurred a few days earlier. Yeah, I so. know. That's well, well, Jeb, you're gonna have to dig that up, and unless Dave, like, you know, makes the proper payments or begging, <laughs> we'll have to put it on the website or something like that. Oh no, this is mutually assured destruction. Cool, I can work with that. How is that? <laughs> how how is that? What photos do you have of me from last week? Well, uh, there's you. The shots I got of you and that penguin the night that you didn't fly out, and uh, what was that? The comfort in. <laughs> We didn't even know they had penguins until one of them approached you in the lobby. Penguin. I don't know whether he's talking about a real, you know, a a real penguin or a flightless bird. Which, which, oh, anyways. Also here this evening (laughs) in the virtual, or just just a bad flashback to Jack Nicholson. Who knows? Is is Amy Lavoda. Amy is the editor in chief of Aviation for Women magazine and a contributing editor to EAA's Sport Aviation. She's talking to us from Fort Myers. Is it Myers or Myers or an S on the end or not? M-Y-E-R-S, Fort Myers. Yeah, the other ones are Virginia. Oh, really? Well, there's only two? There's got to be more than two Fort Myers. There's only two that I know of. How's Uh that? There's a discount chain called Myers. Well, that's different. That's different. different. There's got to be one in Arkansas or something, you know. So how are you doing, Amy? You must be a baseball fan, right? Doing wonderful. And, uh, yeah, actually, the Red Sox do their spring training here. So I'm particularly uh, keyed into what you were speaking about. So, yeah, yeah, I want them to win. I'm with you. All right. Go Red Sox. And I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, (laughs) and a new media producer. And I'm up here in Boston, Massachusetts, where we're all all, uh, watching the Red Sox game out of one eye here. So, uh, So what's going on? It's fall. It's beautiful out there these days. No, it's not. It's 90 <laughs> degrees out. It keeps raining well, every day. In real America, it is. Not down there in Florida, you know, but uh, up here in, in New England and I guess even in Kansas, right? The the leaves are changing and it's just a beautiful time to go flying. Yeah, it's starting uh, It's starting to be those nice, crisp, damp mornings and, uh, and, and kind of clear and kind of calm with a little dew here and there and, and warming up to nothing uncomfortable in the middle of the day. 
and uh, you get a little farther north and a little farther east and uh, uh, some parts of the country, it's it's already past pastel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and good time to get out and, and you know, if you got friends that you've never taken flying and you want to show them something that, uh, that they've never seen before, uh, you know, getting out and doing a fall foliage flight is a, a wonderful little way to, to get a little airtime in for a good cause, uh, as long as you're, uh, you know, bright about it. Yeah, you need to, you know, do it right and, and uh, you know, do it calmly and professionally and uh, don't get too close to the trees that you're trying to get close to. But uh, it, it is a good time of year. In a lot of ways, it's far preferable to the springtime because it's usually going to be less gusty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, because the atmosphere is a little more stable, right? Uh-huh, a little yeah. bit more stable, yeah. a little bit more most settled. Of, most of what you're getting is uh, less thermo and uh, and, and more uh, changing in, in, in front lines, passages, uh-huh. and and uh, it, it, it lacks some of that instability that, that comes in a nice July or August afternoon in the plains, where it's like trying to take a small boat through a boiling pot of water. <laughs> now, are there any particular flight? I mean, common sense, you mentioned not getting too close to the ground. I guess there wouldn't be any other particular flight rules for doing for doing scenic flights in the fall. I, I don't know why this popped into my mind. Um, and I, is this true or not? Is there a special flight rule for doing scenic flights when you're looking to sight moose, mooses? All right. I heard a story one time that... that <laughs> yeah, there's, 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 there's one rule. It says, don't get dead. That there's a proper way, because so many airplanes, not so many, but because a moose wandering around, like, I mean, this must be in Alaska or something, I don't know, um, and and people go out sightseeing to see the moose, mooses, moose, all right, and, um, you know, they're watching the ground, and, and if there's a moose, all of the airplanes in the area are going to, like, try and get close to it, and so there was, like, a rule that said you always make left turns about a moose or something like that, um, and... Uh, you, know, you know, you know, there's an expert in flying around moose. Yeah. Uh, Rocky the Flying Squirrel. Okay. Uh, if we could just get him on the show, uh, he's got more airtime around uh, a moose than in, any pilot I know. Um, uh, yeah. Okay, well, I, I don't have enough beer to, to track down Rocky yet, but um, um, to answer uh, uh, Jack's question, I'm not aware of any rules of the road. Uh, there, may, there might be such in Maine. Uh-huh. Uh, they yeah, they might, can always uh, be little local uh, Yeah, you know, local, local procedures. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. There might be something like that in Maine, but uh, I'm not aware of anything like that in Alaska. Uh, I've I've done my share of of uh, uh, backseat driving, as it were, in in Alaska float planes, and uh, we circled bear and and uh, moose and, and a variety of other animals, uh, uh, knowingly and unknowingly, um, and uh, generally speaking, we're the only airplane in the area. And there's no really need for for any rules, so I, I I don't know. Maybe as I say, maybe in Maine and and maybe elsewhere in the lower 48. Uh, I'm just not aware of it. I'm gonna have to do some research and figure this out here because I heard this back in my California days, and uh, I don't know if someone was just making a joke or. Anyways, back hmm. in, back back in early in the ultralight years, uh, when being able to get out and fly for next to nothing on a fall day and enjoy the colors at, you know, like 35 miles an hour. 
was a was a big attraction. And, oh uh, yeah. But there was always a few little simple things that you kind of wanted to look out for, and maybe wouldn't think of necessarily like obstacles along the route if you're going to do you know over mm-hmm. an unpopulated area, the minimum altitude allowable. Nowadays, with cell phone towers and electric transmission lines and broadcast towers, uh, there could well be things out there that you wouldn't want to run into. Uh, possible proximity of any sightseeing routes you take to any Victor Airways. Uh, definitely want to want to know if you're on a on a Victor, and, and and then really think about whether you turn left or right around what you're trying to look at. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, if you're uh, flying someplace where there's radar coverage, which in a lot of mountain air, mountainous areas is, is debatable, uh, never hurt to, to be talking to somebody, even if they sure. can't see on radar. At least you can report a position and get feedback from any other traffic in the area that they can see. Sure. Uh, and, and, and remember, if you're going to be sightseeing, that staring at the ground at this, you know, awe-inspiring, drop-dead gorgeous, uh, uh, can't-believe-it-exists scenery uh, is is a good way to crunch the airplane because you really got to keep your eye on the gauges and up ahead of you uh, a little more than you looking out the window going, ooh, ah. Yeah, ooh, ah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah um, it, it's, it's always preferable to have at least one person flying the airplane. Uh, and yes. when you're doing you're doing the sightseeing along with everybody else aboard, um, my rule of thumb is no one's flying the airplane on that event. So um, <laughs> uh, maybe maybe the best thing to do is just go ahead and fly the airplane and let everybody else tell you how beautiful the scenery is and uh, where they want to go, and you just make sure you get them there and get them back on the ground all in one piece. Well, and, and if you're in air, if you're flying an airspace where the only thing you really got to watch out for is, is possibility of the traffic. And you've got a George in the airplane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, put it, put it in a turn and let George do a turnaround point for you. Uh, you know, a lot of these uh, uh, lower capability autopilots will let you just keep rotating the DG mm-hmm. 90 degrees or so about every 45 to 90 degrees a turn. And it'll just keep turning around, chasing that DG, holding altitude. Uh, you don't have to worry so much about going up or down and smacking into something untoward if it ain't there already. But be sure you pay attention to what the autopilot is doing, nonetheless. Absolutely, you don't wanna, because you, you don't want to turn into Eastern 401. Yeah, you don't want to yeah. turn into Eastern 401. It's so, not that hard to do either. It's not that hard to do. It yeah. is not. So, high silver. High silver. All right. Well, so. This is not, I repeat, not the off-field landing of the week, all right? Yeah. But what's this this crash landing in Florida, all right? Yeah. So yeah. Now, apparently there was there was actually video on the net I, I, that yeah. I didn't get to see because every time I yeah. went to the website, you couldn't get at the video. Did you guys actually <laughs> see this video? What, what? I, I, I did see the video, um, and there's some still photos out there and this kind of thing. Um, so give basic- us the synopsis here. What happened? Okay. A Beach 18, um, and I believe it was a cargo, a 135 cargo flight, uh, departing. Amy, stop me anywhere in here. I believe Fort Lauderdale Executive. Yep. You're all right from everything that and, I see. And uh, lost at least one engine. Uh, the report I read this morning uh, indicated that the guy lost um, uh, an engine. Uh, here I'm looking at it now. Um, the guy's name is uh, Robertson. Uh, it is uh, Robert Robertson. 
uh, is the pilot's name. He's flying a Twin Beach. Uh, been flying with the, the company. The company's name is uh, Monarch Air, I believe. Cargo company based at Lauderdale. Making several runs a day to the Bahamas. And he takes off at a Lauderdale executive. Uh, the right engine fails. Ouch. Um, yeah. Um, he puts it down on Interstate 95, obviously uh, uh, in the Lauderdale area. And um, apparently he, he gets it just off to one side. He doesn't get on the pavement or something. Uh, I, I'm kind of fuzzy on, on all that. But the airplane um, uh, took the brunt of the, of the damage. Let's, let's put it that way. Basically, the airplane kind of disintegrated around him. I would and say that's, that's very yeah. kind of you. There was nothing left to that yeah, airplane except for him in the seat. There's a, exactly. Yeah, there's a still picture that, if it wasn't so uh-huh. serious, would be comical. All right, that well, shows this guy sitting with the airplane just gone, and he's just sitting there in the seat, right? If you can find the video, the video is both uh, uh, amazing and funny and, and uh, sad and poignant uh, all at the same time. The guy is sitting there. He's, he's wearing a T-shirt. He's got some blood on his face. He's lucky to be alive. He's, he's looking around. Kind of, You can't tell if he's looking around in amazement, if he's looking around dazed, if he's looking around, you know, people, somebody please come here and help me. Uh, and then you see a paramedic in the background walk up and put, a, put one of those uh, uh, immobilizing collars around his neck. Uh, but there's no airplane there. Yeah. But he's still sitting in his seat, the same seat he was strapped into when he took off, and there's no airplane. It's, but it's you really know amazing. what? That's what the airplane's supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. exactly. If you do everything right, if you don't get it upside down or anything, that that would be the way to absorb it's, the energy. Uh, it, tell me a little bit about I-95 and the traffic that's constant uh, on there. Uh, it's It's... Nothing short of a miracle that he didn't end up hitting or tapping a, another car. I mean, it's just astounding that he did such an incredible job getting that airplane back on the ground. It was chock full of furniture. Mm-hmm. I mean, it oh, was like having lead ingots in there. Wow. There was wow. no well, way it would fly. Think about that, too. That is a 70-year-old design. Uh-huh. That's oh, true. That's true. You know, and... and uh, they build them good, man. They built them good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. What time of day was it? I'm scanning the story here. I don't see a time of day it, here. But as I recall, it was early afternoon. It's about one thirty in the afternoon, uh, local time. Um, Jack, yeah. on that highway, it wouldn't matter what time of day. It's true. I guess you're it's right. True. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's, there's sec- sections of 95 up here that are that way too. So yeah. Well, I a uh, congratulations, Robert. Um, you know. Good oh, for man, you. you know, uh, whatever happens the rest of your life will pale compared to the, <laughs> to, to the moment well, of you shaking your head and going, "I'm not dead." <laughs> well, let's let's you know keep keeping things in perspective. This this news story says he did get banged up pretty badly. Uh, he has broken bones, and he'll be in casts for a few months. There's a picture of uh, uh, on the website here uh, of his left arm, and it looks what it looks like a full cast. So, I mean, he's lucky to be alive, no question about it. Uh, but he didn't exactly walk away from this one either. Yeah. No, oh, after, no. after firsthand experience with broken bones, compound fractures, traction, catheters, IVs, blood transfusions, let me tell you, firsthand. They so beat dead. 
Yeah. 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 On, on that note, let's move on to another topic. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Uh, which we one you want to talk about next? Uh, they they still haven't found Fawcett. Haven't well, found? That, that would probably be the, the perfect foil to this. Yeah. All of us wanted wanted them so badly to be able to find this guy alive. And uh, here we are a month later. And either he's disappeared himself or, you know. Yeah, or he, he crashed in such a fashion that there's not that much left to find. Yeah. We but haven't uh, had a new Amelia Earhart in a long time. Well, yeah, yeah. you know, and but but it's not going to be an Amelia Earhart, you know, no. assuming uh, he didn't it, disappear it, himself. It it damn well could be out in that part of the world. Yeah, but he'll turn up eventually. You know, unlike Amelia, because Amelia Earhart is almost certainly at the bottom of the ocean. You know, may she rest in peace. The two uh, of them. Fawcett you know, could be at the bottom of a lake. Yeah, but the percentages are less. And uh, oh, this is true. This you know, is true. Unless, of course, he was trying to land in the water because that was the only place to land. Who knows? Yeah, but it, they are they are kind of. Uh, what do you want? Diametrically reversed here. Yeah, but uh, the odds yeah. of hitting land in the Pacific are about the same as hitting water, water in the Nevada, hot yeah. desert of yeah. Nevada. But yeah. th- there are those chances. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, you know, that's well, just... the, the punchline here and and what we're we're talking about is uh, official word yesterday, um, as reported by CNN this morning, that uh, the Civil Air Patrol has called off the search for Steve Fawcett. Um, it was last seen a month ago today, 30 days ago today, September 3, uh, when he took off out of a private strip uh, in a, in a um, uh, Balanca Super Decathlon. Hasn't been seen since. Um, according to this news article, Civil Air Patrol and other rescuers have co- covered 20,000 square miles trying to find him, quote, one of the largest, most intensive searches for a missing aircraft in modern history. I don't know if that's an allusion to Amelia Earhart or not. But, and, and you know, the thing of it is, these guys are no slouches. Civil Air Patrol, for all their, their, good, their good things and their bad things, the one thing they do know how to do is search and rescue. Absolutely. And a, a number of other uh, organizations and uh, people who know what they're doing were involved in this also. And well, no, there's, no, there's not been a trace show up of him. And then there it's were not for tens lack of, of thousands of computer volunteers That's that right. uh, used a website to use to look at satellite photos. And, and they came up with some crash sites that hadn't been previously identified and unfortunately weren't what we were looking for, what everybody yeah. was looking for. But uh, this turned into a huge, huge effort beyond the people there, you know, in that 20,000 square miles. Exactly. And, I'm sorry, and Amy. It, it, no, if, no, they can, if they can find these other uncharted wrecks, yeah, absolutely. it stands to reason they ought to have been able to find a faucet, which kind of leaves you scratching your head. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that uh, the lack of an ELT from either uh-huh. the aircraft or Fawcett's uh-huh. uh, Breitling uh, uh, rescue watch. Uh-huh. Uh, well, apparently he wasn't wearing the rescue watch. He oh, wasn't wearing it. Okay, because yeah. Branson, Richard Branson, was uh, pretty certain, you know, that that was something Steve never flew without. But you know, Steve wasn't uh, wasn't expecting. I don't think to face any global challenges on this scouting flight. Yeah. Do we ever? Do we ever? When oh, we don't yeah, do, do we ever expect to crash? Um, well, no, but you, when, when you're launching on a non-stop solo around, flight around the world, unrefueled, 
the degree of concern you might go off the ground with differs from uh, I'm going to fly a couple hours and look at some dry lake beds. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, is it common for the NTSB to get involved in a situation like this where there's no no real evidence of a crash even yet? Because apparently, no. according to Wikipedia, and maybe Wikipedia is off base here, but according to Wikipedia, the NTSB actually released a preliminary report that originally stated, quote, presumed fatally injured and aircraft substantially damaged. And then they kind of came to their senses, I guess, and, and, and edited that a little bit. But um, Because that's just really premature, if you ask me, you know. But Well, yeah. usually the NTSB, in, in, in issuing a preliminary like that with the, uh, with the uh, what's the phrase, corpus delecti still missing. Exactly. Yeah. I, well, I, I don't know. I, I've I've looked at a, a bunch of FAA and, and NTSB uh, uh, reports, and uh, I, I don't find anything uncommon about the NTSB uh, starting a file, oh, no, uh, stating the basic uh, facts of the incident or the accident, uh, stating that uh, um, the the aircraft is is missing and and and. Uh, uh, the pilot is presumed fatally injured and the aircraft substantially damaged. That's not all that uncommon. The Wikipedia entry says um, that the NTSB report was later revised, quote, to remove that assumption, unquote. Um, I don't know why. It'd be, it'd be interesting to, to get uh, uh, public affairs at NTSB on the horn and, and uh, ask them why they changed that. If there was family pressure, if they just reconsidered it, or, or there was some other reason. Um, but I, I, all in all, I don't find that all that uh, um, odd, let's put it that way. Wasn't there some new uh, – some Air Force guys, if I read this right – took a look at some radar data uh, right they went back out again this past week based on some some data that they scared up they thought they right. kind of saw a track of which way he actually went and, uh, uh -huh. right you know they they re refocused their efforts a little bit on a narrow area defined by what they uh, what they discerned from the, from these old tracks so uh, it's a pity something didn't work out it's a nice gentleman aside from being a hell of a pilot yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Don't so, mean to talk about him as if he's not there, but all evidence to the contrary. Right yeah. now, he's not there. Yeah. Yep. So there's more news from Brazil. Uh, this is regarding the uh, the midair from like it's a year ago even now. Carnival. Right? <laughs> this, this is the midair between the uh, 737 and the Bizjet. Uh, the, right. The American, the Brazilian 737, and the U.S. Bizjet, or the U.S. piloted Bizjet. And, uh, right, it's uh, actually a Brazilian aircraft. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, of course, Brazil, had, Brazilian manufacturer. Right, didn't have wanna, a bloody thing to do with the accident. I want to be an air traffic controller down there, a military one, because apparently you can't do anything wrong. Yeah, because that's sure. the story. The news that's the story that's come out is that the uh, the court in Brazil has uh, has has uh, declined to indict the air traffic controllers in the plane crash. I haven't been keeping up to date on this. Did the U.S. pilots get indicted, or is that still uh, up in the air? Uh, well, they indicted. Yeah, I think they were indicted, and in, the, the news story yeah. here says uh, uh, face charges similar to involuntary manslaughter. Right. Well, and something uh, to remember about wishing for that kind of immunity, in Brazil, the air traffic control system is a division of the military, 
Right. So your quality of life, even though you might enjoy that kind of immunity, may be a little bit different because the people that uh, sign your checks salute to the people that sign their checks. Yeah, but you'd be in Brazil. <laughs> I uh, yeah. No, no, no. I've heard some really well, nice things about and minuses to yeah. that idea. Yeah. Depending on the time of year. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, it's an interesting story. It's, you know, I mean, our politics, our politics up here in the United States can get just as bizarre from time to time. So I don't but think we've we should. Had, we've had a, a number of, uh, of court cases and court challenges recently uh, directed specifically at the performance of the air traffic control system at the FAA. And, well, let's, and, and, uh, yeah, I was going to say, look at the, look at the Com Air crash. Yeah. That's right. What, what was? Tell us what what you're talking about, Amy. Uh, I'm talking about the Calm Air crash in um, Lexington, Kentucky, uh, right. where it went off the took off on the wrong runway. But um, there is some indication that they're trying to pin that on the air traffic controller that morning as well for allowing those guys to not paying attention to where they were taxiing out when right. he only had one airplane moving on the entire field. Yeah, well, right. you know. he was he was he was one controller when the uh, staffing uh, uh, documentation said there should be two. Yes, and he had administrative duties as well as aircraft handling duties at that time of night. So, with only one aircraft taxiing out, I happened to be in Louisville, uh, just a few miles from Lexington. The weekend that happened, and you know, it was absolutely baffling right at first on how something that bad could have gone so wrong. Uh, on a night that was clear and calm, or an early morning that was clear and calm, until they showed us aerial footage of the uh, airport and the proximity of the debris field to the airport. And it, it, it was obvious really quickly that either they'd taken off off the run, wrong runway or they'd taken off off the right runway and it made it most of the way back before they crashed. <laughs> Which, you know, from the time everybody was discussing, clearly wasn't the case. Uh, we got another where AT, we've got two here recently where ATC's been faulted for not delivering weather that it should have. Uh, another where ATC was faulted for not maintaining separation of two VFR aircraft that they knew were in close proximity. That was up near Milwaukee. Uh, and uh, it's like, Guys, this is a little spooky. We depend on you. Well, but they're but they are absolutely chronically understaffed right now. They have this a serious staffing problem, and uh, let's face it, they don't have a contract. No, they don't. No, they they they're work, they're, they've got working conditions. They don't have a contract. And uh, but you're not suggesting they're slowing down on purpose or something, are you? I said nothing to that. I I, I said no, no, nothing no. about that, did I? Okay. I mean, it what it it wasn't a union disagreement that caused the tower at Lexington Bluegrass Airport to be short a controller that night uh, in in August of two thousand and six, right? No, that was that was staffing from higher up. Exactly. And there've been other notable uh, uh, examples of management agility that haven't gone down so well with the FAA recently where ATC staffing is concerned and uh, maybe I'm naive here but you know I mean I just have a very very high opinion uh, of of the of the FAA guys and women who 
you know, talk to us on the radio or on the telephone. I, absolutely. I, absolutely. I, and, and I have a real hard time. I can work in the positions. Absolutely. Yeah. And I and, and although I can imagine that they might, you know, kind of try and, you know, maybe not always come to work, you know, call in sick or whatever in protest of the contract situation. I don't know that they're doing that, but maybe they'd do that. I find it incredibly unlikely. I would be incredibly surprised if they ever underperformed at their station as a result of the... the, the, Absolutely not deliberately, but when you think about the extra hours they're working, the extra overtime because of the short staffing that they're working, they don't even have to be deliberate to be at risk of performing subpar, exhaustion alone will take care of that in a few of them. It's just human nature. Well, airline pilots and crews have proven that time and time again, and it happens on both sides of the radio, is that fatigue is critical. And what I'm saying is that that air traffic controller didn't choose to be alone in that tower. The supervisors said... There's only going to be one in there, and that goes directly to funding. And if they're not going to fund to the level to staff what their own requirements say they have to do, then FAA management, they're in deep effluvia, my friends. Absolutely. Well, (laughs) this is a system that we're told by certain groups would really be better served if it was operated under a good old-fashioned profit motive. I don't think so. How many of you deal with Wackenhut Towers? Ah, <laughs> just well, just look at the success curve of this kind of thinking in Canada and England and Europe and Mexico. Uh, did a tour of Mexico a few years ago, where on return I had filled out more forms and paid more individual fees that. That then I needed to fill a folder thicker than the charts and plates it took to fly down there and back. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. There were four to five people I had to stop and give a form to and pay a fee to at every freaking airport. But did that make you less safe? Well, that's just it. I don't see how it made me safer because unless I was on an IFR flight plan, I didn't exist to them. Yeah, well, it. it it isn't there to make you 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 safer. It's not, right. yeah. it's not your safety that you're concerned about. They're concerned about their own safety. Yeah, well, they're well, concerned about their cash flow. You know, you know yeah. a guy, a guy used to flying in a world where squawking twelve hundred at least put makes you a mark on a radar screen somewhere. And down there, they say, "Oh no, Senior Capitan, you don't squawk tell twelve hundred unless you're IFR. You fly with the transponder off." Ah! Really? Well. No, I, I, I'm, I'm with you, Dave. I want to see, I want, you know, I, I'm, there are lots of things I think the feds don't do better, but I think this is one of the ones that they do do better. And uh, um, so now, so speaking of the feds, uh, once again, Washington has been listening to Dave Higdon on the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast. Um, you were, you were bemoaning the fact that they hadn't issued the, uh, this is the same NPRM that you were complaining they hadn't issued, right, regarding the one. ADSB, and they've apparently now finally uh, released it, and uh, the couple uh, of days ago, automatic dependent surveillance broadcast ADS-B performance requirements to support air traffic control service, 
It's of course a PDF file. God, see, I'm a web developer. I hate PDF files. This is just why, because it's not the web. You know, come on, I want a web page. And, and I, you want HTML, and all right. All I, because right. it ruins the web. All right, that's not aviation related. Anyways, it's a PDF file. I didn't download it. Do you have you guys read this thing yet? Yeah, I've looked at it. I've looked um, at it. First off, what's fun here is that it's October 3rd. We've been hearing about this since October 1st, and the publication date's not until tomorrow, October 5th, or uh, Friday, October 5th. <laughs> so we are so ahead of the federal government on this already. <laughs> well, uh, it's it's made public before it's published in the Federal Register, and uh, that's what we're looking at here is the, the public version of this. But uh, um what this document does basically is is specif is I should say propose specifications for the avionics to be carried aboard the airplane. It's what they call ADSB out, out being what is transmitted from the airplane to the ground uh, uh, and or to uh, other airborne aircraft. Missing uh, from this document is the ADSB in portion of the specifications. In other words. What um, uh, the specifications for the avionics uh, aboard the airplane to receive? In other words, what data they'll receive and what they'll do with that reception. Um, the proposal uh, says that ADSB would be required in certain airspace, specifically uh, above flight level 240 and uh, in uh, class A, B, and some class C, I believe. After the year 2020, okay. and some uh, E, yeah. So it's yeah, not. And I'm, I may have I may have some of this a bit askew because uh, uh, what I've been looking at is is not complete, and and this is a 100 page document, yeah. double typed, double spaced in 12 point Times Roman, with footnotes and uh, all of that kind of thing. So circles, uh, arrows, and explanations. A paragraph on the back of each one telling what it is. That's right. Directing us to the Group W bench. So I, I that's what you get paid the chance. big bucks for, to read this stuff and tell us what it says, right? So oh, this really? Kind of, okay. This is kind of not a surprise. The only surprise here is, A, that they're not later getting it out yeah. that we thought they would be. Uh, just like we were surprised when they let the contract that underpins going to this system uh, before they published this NPRM. But if you think of it in the most fundamental term, compared to today's technology, what they're talking about is using ADSB out, which, like Jeb says, is you know a little box that sends out your GPS position to any other ADSB in system that can hear you. And it basically is going to be the new transponder. Right. You won't need mode S. You won't need mode C because ADS-B will replace that. Uh, radar is going to go away under this. That's part of the whole point. Well, well I noticed exactly. You won't need you won't need the air traffic controller in a sense. And and they're only requiring out because that's all they need to be able to manage the system. Right. If you want the extra benefits that can come from having ADS-B, like uh, uh, up-to-the-minute traffic from other ADS-B out aircraft, which will be virtually everybody uh, within a few years of 2020, if not near it. Uh, If you want to take the benefits of that live weather, uh, and who knows whatever technology comes along in the next 12 years, you're going to need ADS-B in. They're making that currently an option. uh, That's why it's not addressed. 
Well, uh, I, I found in you need a multifunction display yeah. of some kind to play it. Uh, but it's basically requiring what they need for them to do their jobs. Yeah, while Dave was talking here, I, I found the pertinent section. Uh, after January 1, 2020, uh, um, let's see, at or below, I'm sorry, at or above two, flight level 240, and then you get into Class B and Class C airspace, um, there's a whatever uh, uh, Part 91D Section 1 uh, lists as far as airports. I don't know which airports those are. I, I suspect that is uh, Mode C Vale. Um, yes. Um, and um, that's within 30 nautical miles up to 10,000 feet MSL. Um, aircraft in all airspace above the ceiling, uh, lateral boundaries up to 10,000 MSL. Um, let's see, Class E airspace over the Gulf of Mexico. And then basically Class E airspace at and above 10,000 feet MSL. So uh, now aircraft without uh, electrical ex electric, yeah, electrical systems, including balloons and gliders, um, uh, are exempted. Basically, yada yada yada. Uh, this is a proposal. Uh, right. this would is a would remind our listeners. And um, you are the public is asked, urged to comment on on uh, these proposals. This specific document is is targeted more towards um, those who manufacture avionics, uh, because this is uh, uh, where it's equipment requirements yeah. and the technology. If you don't fly in that airspace by this NPRM. You won't be required to have the equipment. That said, if you're like a lot of us, a lot of the time today, you're going to spend some of your time in that kind of airspace and some of your time outside that kind of airspace and just automatically equip yourself for the higher level of, of, of flying. And I don't see it's going to be a huge, huge uh, handicap for most of the GA fleet that is going to use mode S or mode C transponders today to make that transition in the next 12 years. Well, we don't, we don't know that. Um, we don't know what the equipment's going to cost. We don't know what, uh, the, the ADSB in requirements are going to be vis-a-vis -vis what, uh, uh, the airplane, uh, is sending out this data is, is basically a very simple thing to do. Uh, you've got a you've got a GPS on board. You've got a, a mode uh, S uh, transponder, an extended squitter transponder, um, uh, the, U the UAT transponder, whatever. The the GPS and the transponder talk to each other, and the transponder sends this data out. Um, piece of cake. It's what um, uh, you do with that data when it's received by another airplane. How are you supposed to react? How are you supposed to even display that data? And what equipment will you be forced to carry? And how much will that cost? Uh, what, uh, what additional certifications of the pilot of the aircraft might be required? All of those are unanswered questions and questions that could drastically, could drastically increase the cost of flying. Well, um, Jeb, yeah. can I chime in here and talk Absolutely. about what, what 
what proved to them that this system could work was Capstone in Alaska. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they did fund all of the aircraft that they equipped in Alaska. That's true, but too. The reality is that this technology is already 10 years old yep. uh-huh. from Capstone. So, so we've, we've demonstrated that it works. It works with small planes. It works with big planes. That um, there is some very af- affordable technology that's going into just about all the new airplanes right now that can be used. That's basically the PFD, the multifunction displays. Mm-hmm. to display this. Uh, in fact, the airplane I'm building right now has a port for ADS-B. Mm-hmm. And there's even a box I can hook onto it right now if I want to receive and transmit ADS-B. Is that and the that's, Yeah. Well, yeah, I have a... I have a uh, yeah, you can only get it from Garmin. Right. It costs about $3,000. And it hooks right in uh, via the standard connections into my Grand Rapids Technology multifunction uh, MFD-PFD, and I can have traffic mm-hmm. today. Well, so, and, yeah, and, but I can get traffic. because, because I live on the east coast of the United States, I can use ADSB right now, uh-huh. all the way up and down the east coast. Well, even, even though so, people aren't equipped with these out gadgets? Yeah. I can where, use where does position data come from? There. I'm getting whoever is equipped. You're getting mode S. Yeah, oh. I'm getting I'm getting whoever is equipped. But she's and getting ADSB, and mode S is 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 coming in, but that's well, separate. Are you, Amy, yeah, are you I'm getting, getting are you ADSB? Getting, are you getting TISB? Or are you getting ADSB? Or are you getting something else? What I would get, and again, I, that, this is all hypothetical. This is, I can do this now. I actually don't have a flying airplane, let's be clear here, that has this in it. I have the ability to equip it that way right now. That is an option. And what I would get would be displays of other ADSB-equipped airplanes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not very many of them right now. Yeah. So I'm not going to see a lot. However, I would, would however, get the piggyback weather that's being uh-huh. broadcast along with that, which would not cost me anything as opposed to XM weather, which does cost me something. Okay. So she could also get uh, uh, TIS B for traffic over the same length. Uh, and that's what they're in transition to now uh, from uh, TSA, which a lot of people mistakenly equipped for only to find out they were going to change it uh, to something compatible with ADSB. Well, yeah, I'm on page 53 of this, and it says very clearly that TSB will be decommissioned mm-hmm. when ADSB is rolled out completely. Right, right. right. And uh, so you'll be able to get the same traffic. It'll be basically live and through what the uh, ATC system puts out. So you'll be seeing both other aircraft and non-ADSB aircraft before this is all said and done. Uh, but that's going to go away. Uh, radar and all this stuff. Uh, they're, they're, you know, they're basically starting a 20-year transition period here where VORs and ILSs as we know them today will become oddities compared to how we consider them today. 
Yeah. Because all the stuff can be done with WAS, GPS, multi-literation, and ADSB. I don't see a problem with that. I think I it's the either. way we need to go. I don't know. Speaking as a technologist, not really knowing anything specifically about ADSB, looking 20 years in the future is just insane. Uh-huh. You, you, you don't know. You, you you can't predict five years from now what technology is going to be available. You know, they're kind of well, we, putting a stake in the really ground of where much, we're going to be 20 years from now. Is just like we don't nuts. have much choice but to pick a technology and invest in it and, and and try to pick something that's the most scalable and upgradable possible. But you can't keep waiting five years or making a new decision every five years or nothing will be compatible up and down the line. It's an unfortunate uh, aspect of the success of our own GA market. It takes a while to update all this equipment. It takes a while to update all these airplanes. Uh, but when the time well, comes, it's going to be a good thing. I guess a couple of thoughts. One, ADSB, is, as, as uh, Amy correctly points out, it's been around about 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, it was tested in uh, in uh, Alaska as a part of the Capstone project uh, back in the late 1990s. It was also uh, tested in the Ohio River Valley. With it was UPS. also tested by UPS in, in the Ohio River Valley in, in Louisville area, which and, means and that UPS uses it right now, by the way. Right, yep. which means that the technology has been around for at least 10 years, because it took a while to design it, standardize it, build it, install it, conduct the test. Um, by the year 2020, and the year 2025 is in here somewhere also, um, we're going to be looking at 30-year-old technology. Um, Jack's point is, is a fairly good one. It's difficult to predict what um, enhancements, what uh, technological breakthroughs will have occurred um, over that intervening period. I guess my point is, is a little bit simpler. Um, and why I'm somewhat skeptical of all this, name me a single uh, technology uh, automation system that the FAA has tried to implement over the last 25 years, which has worked the first time out of the box, which has come in on time and and on budget, and I will buy you a steak dinner. ADSB and Capstone. Well, I don't think that they've Chris, worked out Chris, of the box, Chris, and I don't Chris, think Chris will work <laughs> I don't think that uh, um, they've been <laughs> under budget either. Um, but I, I'm just skeptical because um, the FAA has not earned um, the uh, uh, no, the ability no, to make in, me not skeptical. Let's put nothing it in my belief in the technology. Takes away from my suspicion of the FAA's ability to screw it up if we don't stick on it and push them and give them the resources and hold them to doing it right at every bloody step of the way. Uh, when I say us, I really mean our guys in Congress or our guys at AOPA, <laughs> through which both channels we are able to complain bitterly or credit incredibly. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but I'm, I'm tremendously optimistic about this because it has been tested, because uh, the commercial arena is excited about it. I, I, I believe uh, from having spent some time watching how it works at UPS that uh, it can save a lot of money. Absolutely. I, I, I really do think that's, that's absolutely true. And I believe that it will be far less expensive and less intrusive 
down the line that that pilots really can self-separate that they they're very good at it in fact um and that the way UPS is using the system to actually create a, a, a logarithm that will um, sort the airplanes and give them speeds and trajectories well before they ever hit Louisville, yeah. such that they that never amazing? have to they never have to add power back in when they start the descent. That's right. Everything's been set up a long time ahead of time. Flight idle thrust. They're saving thirty-five percent. They're yeah. saving thirty-five percent right off the top, and, and they're the system's using telling them whether they need an extra five or ten knots or five or ten knots less. Absolutely, and they're staging them. They're telling them what time to take off to make this all happen. And Jack, they're saving money hand over fist. Well, that's right now. That, that part's good. I'm not. I'm not at all uncomfortable with the idea that we're trying these new things. And I kind of, you know, applaud the government for trying to help it along in their in their governmental kind of way. But I, I just, <laughs> I, I just think that. I just think that any any technological plan that's, that thinks it's that it's seeing twenty years in the future is kidding itself. You know, GPS went from we had never heard of it to took over the aviation world in five years. All right, you know. Except it hasn't. It really hasn't. No, it, it hasn't. hasn't taken over the world. Well, not taken over, but but the point it, is, it, it went from nobody had ever heard of it should. in aviation to you know almost oh, everybody know. had one. You it's know, the and, be all and end all. But that said, the whole system, almost you know, the majority of the paperwork, the approaches, the majority of the departures and arrivals, are all geared up around everything but GPS. And, and they're not going to. They're not going to change over until they got more confidence in their ability to know where airplanes are than they've got with radar, which is responsible for the huge separation levels that they've got to use now to manage traffic flow. Well, and here's the aircraft unit costs, including equipment and installation costs. And you and I both know, Jack, that here's where they really go wrong. A lot of the time they estimate what things are really going to cost and it's nowhere close. But they're saying for GA that it's the, on the low end, it's going to cost somewhere around $4,300. And on the high end, it's going to cost somewhere around $17,000 to uh, equip and install these aircraft. Um, and, and the question is, how far off are they on that? Yeah. Well, and when you think that right now, you can't get the kind of collision avoidance in, in in live terms, that ADSB has the potential to deliver for seventeen thousand dollars. No, I mean, it's very right, th- right there. You're talking about a a, a system that you're not going to have to buy in the future if you've got ADSB. Same way with live weather. Uh, you know, it's it's going to add up to a far, being worth far more, I think, in the long term. And this is really goes more to the people that aren't so equipped now than the guys that are already will. To a certain extent, guys that are already equipped for some of this stuff don't really gain anything from ADSB, except they would gain redundancy if they put it in because there'd be one box that would deliver all the stuff to their multifunction display. Uh, but for people that aren't so equipped, you know, this is a budget way into a whole lot of technology that it took serious five figures to put in as standalone equipment. 
Absolutely. Well, we're apparently going to be talking about this until the year 2020, <laughs> so I guess we'll, we'll move Please, on. Uncontrolled airspace, episode 494. ADSB, myth or magic? Go ahead, Amy. Put a cap on this. What? Put, put, put some time in to read the NPRM and comment. Because what the whole reason an NPRM Excellent. exists is for us to comment, for us to go in there and tell the FAA what we like, what we hate about it, what we think is totally off the mark. So, so I challenge you to download the PDF as much as Jack hates them and to read it <laughs> and, and comment on it. Because now's your chance. Don't, don't come back a year from now and say, oh, this is the stupidest thing in the world. If I was doing it. Because you have your chance right now in the NPRM process to tell the FAA how you would do it. That's right. You, too, have a vote. That's the one thing I think all four of us can agree on. And it's only 100 pages and probably pretty easy reading, too. So, uh, oh, absolutely. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it. in an espresso. I commit here in front of all of our hundreds of thousands of listeners, I'm going to read it. I'll, I'll report back. I'll report I'm back. I'm not sure which exaggeration I like better. <laughs> I want more money. That's Amy, you put it on the list here. Uh, so the uh, the all right, here's the way I summarize this story. All right, uh, this the last couple of days, the federal government has been tooting their horn about how they've reduced the number of airline crashes over the last what ten years. Yeah, that's exactly right. They are uh, claiming that airline crashes are down sixty five percent, and uh, I'm intrigued by that. Uh, they, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. You know, I, I, I think any time there's a fatality, it's a problem. Um, but Pena did challenge them to, uh, to a zero tolerance for, for accidents. And uh, they, they are claiming that, in fact, they're, they're getting better at it. The reason I like this article is how they 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 discovered problems and took proactive action. And there's an example here of aviation safety experts going into the black boxes of U.S. Airways aircraft going into uh, Charlotte Douglas International Airport in Charlotte, North Carolina, and discovering that too many of its airplanes were coming in high and hot on um, unstabilized approaches. And they actually brought this data to the FAA and got the approach procedures into Charlotte Douglas International Airport changed and, and so that aircraft would not be forced to drop in. That's actually pretty cool, although I'm a little amazed that the pilots' union let them go into the black boxes in that way. Well, this was, uh, I believe, Amy, stop me anywhere in here. This is part of the uh, uh, Flight Operations Quality Assurance Program, as I recall. Uh, yes. FOCLA, uh, as it's unfortunately acronymed, um, <laughs> and uh, the the agreement between the carriers and the FAA was that they could get this operational data, but it could not be used for enforcement purposes. Okay, okay. And by the way, I should just point out this is from uh, this is from an article in uh, Amy's favorite publication, the New York Times, uh, written by Amy's favorite author, by the way. Yeah, Matt Wells. Have you sent him corrections yet? Uh, so far, I haven't seen anything in this that I need to correct. Okay. But, but that doesn't mean that. So they, not. so they actually Gee went in and, and, and it's there. And and so they went in and made some operational changes to based on real life data. That's kind of cool. 
Yeah, I I really like that they did that. Um, And it's not unlike other situations where we're discovering unsafe things before the crash. Uh Wouldn't it have been nice if they had really taken a look at Lexington and said, wow, the way we've got these barriers set up, you know, we're just an accident waiting to happen? Yeah. Well, yeah. Then again, wouldn't it have been nice if the if the pilots had had uh, you know checked their HSI against the runway they were assigned? Hey, but, wouldn't it wouldn't you know, it have been nice if the pilots of that Southwest airplane had said, you uh-huh. know, maybe this is too close. Exactly. And we should someplace well, else. That, yeah, that whole stabilized uh-huh. approach problem that they were talking about that Matt Swall's talking about at the, up here, uh, or that you were mentioning, Amy. That's that's chapter and verse. What happened in Midway with that Southwest flight? Absolutely. Uh, and they, they, they made Burbank, a lot of poor they, choices. They they did the same thing at Burbank, if I remember right. Where instead of skidding into the middle of a snowy street in Chicago, they uh, slid up, up a gas self, station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. self service pump in uh, in Burbank. And I believe that was a Southwest airplane as well. Was it, that was oh, a yeah, Southwest. Both, both instances, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, oh. and and not only that, but if you take a take a hard look at unstabilized approaches, I, as a flight instructor, I got to tell you, I've seen a billion of them. I, from sitting in the right seat, I have seen a billion of them, and I know that the 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 only good solution to that is a go around. Because it, look at the Little Rock, Arkansas case. What was that? That was yep. an approach that should have never started. Should right. certainly shouldn't have continued. Talking about the American, the American. That's exactly right. American Airlines, yeah. and and you know you factor in fatigue, you factor in uh, pressures that got to get there. That uh, you know we can resist, but the airline pilots are absolutely under the gun all the time, more now than ever. I mean, come yeah. on, look at this whole passenger rights thing. And, and and what do you set yourself up for? It, in uh, Jeb and I and, and a whole lot of the aviation world were in Atlanta last week for NBAA and visiting uh, Peachtree to Cab or to Cab Peachtree Airport PDK a couple of times during the uh, the trip. Uh, it brought back to me flashes of watching a a business jet land right after I did. Well, I I was about a dot and a half to the right and a half a dot high uh, trying to shoot an ILS into there on a really gusty, stormy evening uh, back in 99, I believe it was. Uh, the next aircraft, but I was stable closing that gap between when I saw the runway and when I touched down. You know, nothing wavered after that. It was just nice, easy crab once I could see it. Uh Falcon, now nah, I'm not even going to say a Falcon for sure, I don't know, but a jet that landed about 90 seconds after I turned off the runway was also off the center line, probably about the same amount, uh, about the same high, about a dot, half a dot to a dot high, uh, but smoking on touchdown speed and way down the runway, uh, and it only cost them three tires on the main trucks <laughs> <laughs> they got it stopped on the runway and they you know and they bought some new tires that's good. Uh, was, that's good yeah i thought we were being shot at when i heard the first this, one go this whole thing about stabilized approaches though is something i have to i have to research because i don't know what that means 
And Amy, well, I'm just ki- I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> we're, we're talking about approach, not personalities. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. All right. Stabilized well, we personalities. Can, we can fix that for you, Jeb. You come see me. flying So, uh, what else? Jeb, you put this story in here. Dayjet has launched. What I haven't. I Dayjet has uh, launched. Dayjet uh, tell today. Us what, tell us what Dayjet is. Dayjet. Okay. Dayjet is uh, um, the uh, the poster child, if you will, for what is known as the per seat on demand um, uh, air carrier service. Uh, basically, this is an air taxi that sells seats. Uh, on a charter flight, as opposed to allowing or, or forcing, I should say, uh, customers to charter the entire airplane. Optimistically, of course, um, um, you may have to uh, wait around for enough passengers to get on the airplane going to your destination, or you may have to um, ride through a couple of flights with a couple of stops before you get to your destination under this Five business model. Buy, just buy, or, or just buy another seat, and, and that I was makes say the, pay more. Yeah, yeah. pay more. Um, and uh, um, the, the 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 pricing on this kind of depends on how much you want to pay and how 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 long you're willing to wait. Um, the last time I'm I looked into it, it was it was pretty squiggly. But uh, putting all that all of that aside, Dayjet is uh, kind of as I say the poster child for this kind of operation. Um, they have based their business model on uh, the Eclipse 500 uh, Very Light Jet. Uh, they announced today that uh, they have started revenue operations. Um, and not just a poster child for this kind of operation. It is the poster child for the dominant segment of the Eclipse marketing and production planning. Uh, you know, Vern Rayburn's always been real clear. In his mind, the Eclipse 500 was always targeted more toward the uh, on-demand per-mile charter model that didn't yet exist, but would exist if there was a plane to support it. Now's where the rubber hits the runway, babe. Yeah, and we'll yeah. That, see that's how this absolutely works out. true. And I was in Gainesville the other day, Gainesville, Florida, which is uh, Eclipse Service Center, and I saw five day jets in there in the course really? of two hours. Yes. Wow, well, they've got a big facility there. I was in there recently, also, and uh, uh, they've got a nice uh, facility there at Gainesville. The uh, uh, and, and I, I don't have time. And this is like a seven-page press release, single-spaced. Uh, yeah, it's 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 uh, pretty substantial. PDF pu- file, by the way. It's a PDF <laughs> file. It's, a, it's, a, it's another PDF. You know, um, but pretty uh, damn fine. As I recall, yeah, they're they're basing their operation right now just basically within the state of Florida. Uh, they have five what they call day ports, which are basically their their uh, bases of operation: uh, in Boca Raton, Gainesville, which we mentioned, Lakeland, Pensacola, and Tallahassee. Um, and they'll they'll be serving uh, literally serving those five uh, uh, points um, uh, in, with their initial service. They plan on uh, expanding, uh, obviously, out of Florida because there's not much. Uh, uh, not that much growth potential in the state, but uh, um, within the next two years, to to quote dozens of additional dayport locations, including Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Tennessee. Um, I, a couple of years ago, I had a lengthy conversation with uh, 
the the Najet's president, um, uh, Ed Yakabuchi, Ed Yakabuchi, and uh, very interesting guy. Clearly, clearly uh, uh, knows his business plan. Clearly knows uh, what he's trying to do here, uh, and. Uh, <clears throat> uh, it's all very interesting, and I wish him a lot of luck. It's it's really the first time it's been tried on this scale. It's uh, a, uh, I would I don't think I'll uh, uh, um, t- I don't think I'm uh, uh, telling stories out of school when I say it's a fairly untested airplane, um, and uh, they they've got a lot uh, on the line, but they've got a lot of uh, a lot of people pulling for them, and they've got a lot of expertise uh, behind backing them. So can they fly uh, them in the dark yet? Well, they can only fly them uh, 100 hours between uh, um, windshield changes right now, uh, although a fix is in the works. I'm not sorry, 100 cycles between windshield changes, although a fix their, is uh, in the works. They get above 18,000 and IFR back? I'm not sure about the that. The AOA probe? I'm Anyways. not sure. Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, they're, they're, I'm sure. I was making a joke. We shouldn't pick at them. They're doing some great work down there. and uh, it, uh, you know. Well, you know, the... Uh, Growth, the, growing the experts pain. that have looked at the economic uh, economic underpinnings of the Dayjet model, which is, you know, that's not the only outfit on the planet that's pursuing a, a business line along this model. Uh, Pogo no. is another. Uh, but the uh, the business model looks good on paper if the bodies turn out in the numbers the paper says they need to make it work. Uh, well, but in in the words of one guy though. Uh, a whole lot of this is going to depend on the durability of the aircraft because right. it's going to be flying two to two and a half times as many hours per year as the average business jet flies in the average year today. That's absolutely true. Uh, one of the reasons I am confident the day jet started in Tallahassee is because if you look at the state of Florida, Tallahassee is the state capital, but it's a very difficult state capital for most people yes. in the state of Florida to get to. That's true. And it, it only makes sense to fly there for lawyers and businessmen. Uh, and, and they got a great FBO there. They have a wonderful FBO there. Yeah, absolutely. I've used flight so, line many times going through. So what what you're going to find is that it's a great spot for them to start at mm-hmm. because they're promising to get most people in the state to Tallahassee in 35 minutes to an hour. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's you know, and that's unheard of. It's a 10-hour drive from here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, moving on here, we're starting to reach the end of our allotted time. I should point out, by the way, that I, I don't hate PDF. Uh, PDF's actually pretty cool. I actually invented PDF. This is the, the, the Adobe. The Adobe Police are going to be at your No, 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 no. Listen, now I'm going to leave it as an exercise to the, to the student to, to, to figure out, to read my resume. But I, I actually was part of a team that invented what became PDF. PDF's great. I'm just saying it's not an acceptable replacement for a web page. Shoutouts. What's going on out there? Uh, you mean that I, doesn't stand for pretty damn fine? Yeah, it's it, of course it does, but uh, but it's not a web page. Shoutouts. Uh, we thought originally we were all going to be, or some of us, or, or I was going to be at the AOPA Expo this weekend or this week, uh, um, but uh, that kind of all fell apart at the last minute. And Dave had some other business plans, and I had some other business plans. So, uh, in case you haven't noticed, we're not. Um, and uh, by the time you listen to this, the, the expo will probably be over, and uh, hopefully, we'll have some reports for you uh, next uh, next week on the podcast about all the fun stuff that went on down there in Hartford. It's still a slight 
slight chance I'm going to get down there, but uh, but it's not looking promising. Don't what else? Tease now, don't tease. Well, my well, a listener. I got an email from a listener who offered to give me a ride down in his airplane, which I may actually take him up on. Originally, I thought I was going to go down on Thursday or Friday. Now he was going on Saturday, but now maybe I will call him and, and catch a ride. Well, from on no, go down, go down for the day Saturday. You'll you'll be among a lot of other people who are doing the same thing from New England. But um, um, yeah, if you can do it, do it. Yeah. But anyways, we'll definitely have some reports um, on uh, on all the fun stuff and interesting stuff that came out of the expo. I'm sorry, Dave. Go ahead. I just wanted to say thanks to uh, Landis and Randy who chimed in uh, on the uh, on the blog this week on a on a little transcript posting that I made uh, made to the uh, to the fodder webpage talking about the sudden interest of the White House and the Secretary of Transportation in solving the airline delay problem. Uh, you just can't get anything past these people at all these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I'd just real quickly like to thank all the fine folks at Apps Aviation at PDK for uh, all of their fine service last week during NBAA. I know it was uh, probably a week that they'd not like to live through again anytime soon, uh, but they seem to have held up their end of the bargain fairly well, and uh, uh, all the big parts of my airplane were still there, and uh, um, uh, by all accounts from others, uh, they did a good job. So hats off to them, and uh, uh, we'll see them again probably in um, in 2010, I think. In particular, hats off to uh, the the owner and, and manager, Pat Epps, who was uh, nice enough to spend a little time visiting with me and, and, and show me that I, too, have something to aspire to. His office clutter and my office clutter match almost perfectly. <laughs> Amy, any any uh, closing thoughts here? Any shout out you want to give before we cl- wrap this thing up? No, I just uh, want to inspire people to uh, do those stabilized approaches. I was going to say the same thing. Very good, <laughs> very good. Hang hang in there and and put it on the rail, baby. Put it on the rail. That's what I tell my students. You know, once put it it's, on once the it's rail. There, and yeah. Explain, is, is explain how you. You want to ride it from 180 oh, okay. degrees gotcha. opposite your point gotcha. of intended landing, smooth and slow, like it was on a roller coaster rail, right on and down. You, and you know, the that. FAA years ago developed a technology which would do exactly that. It was called the microwave landing system, and no you one's bet. ever heard of it. Well, yeah, that was that was one of those. Yeah, they anyhow, loved it's going to make Jack smile. That was, <laughs> they, they did love it in Colorado. In fact, I I got to fly in an airplane, a Dash Eight, flying that approach in the dark, in the snow, <laughs> into Aspen one night. Never been more frightened in my life, and yet it was an absolutely rock solid approach the whole uh-huh. way down. I, I flew a Skyhawk. We have yet to have another precision landing system that can not only guide you to the runway threshold within millimeters, but can also give you Orville Redenbacher's microwave popcorn on the That's same right. trip. <laughs> although, although, guys, I did fly a Skyhawk late last year that was equipped with a microwave landing system. Ow! Oh, where? Um, it's a traffic operation in the Washington, D.C. area. It was a former uh, AOPA airplane oh, operation. flying out of national. Uh, wow. No, it was flying from one of the D.C. three airports. This was actually it was a double whammy. It was a diesel-powered Skyhawk. Wow. Huh. And it had my a, only exposure to MLS was flying a Dash 7 onto the stub runway at uh-huh. National Airport. Huh. 
And, oh, the and ransom I was operation. Less, yeah. I was less impressed with the descending curved approach than I was the abil- uh, the, uh, the airplane's ability to look like it was going to crash into the runway numbers uh-huh. before pulling up and stopping short in 100 feet. It's basically in reverse thrust uh, from about 500 feet. Uh, AGL, just, yeah. Just damn near it. Yeah. Damn near it. And the popcorn was great. <laughs> well, thank you, guys, Amy. Uh, we can learn more about Amy and her work at the uh, at uh, her magazine's website, wai.org slash magazine. Jeb, learn more about Jeb and his work at uh, jebburnside.com, also aviationsafetymagazine.com and avweb.com. Dave, of course, is at DaveHigdon.com. I, of course, am at JackHodgson.com and also AroundTheField.net. And you can visit all of us, uh, check out the blog, and a new feature coming sometime in the next couple weeks. Keep an eye open for it on our website at UncontrolledAirspace.com. That's out foreboding. Yeah. Thank you. uh, Because because I'm not busy enough right now, I'm going to add something new to the website here. But, uh, you know, uh, any uh, any excuse to avoid real work uh, is... uh, is going to be a benefit to the uncontrolledairspace.com website. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks, everyone, for hanging out in the hangar with us tonight. And we'll talk to you all again next time. Next time, folks. Shiny side up. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out to the ground. Buy me some peanuts. Yeah.